Baptism Sunday. I always love a Baptism Sunday. There's something about it. I think it's the kid inside of me that just loves water and uh, loves the fact that there's something a little bit different going on. Well, I was baptized about this time, about this time of year, 10 years ago, and uh, it feels like yesterday in some ways, but then when I look back over these past 10 years, I realize that there's a few lessons that I've learned along the way, some good lessons through good ways and some probably through not so good ways and making mistakes and realizing actually I probably could have done that a little bit different. So this morning I want to share with you some of those stories, uh, some of the mistakes I've made and hopefully some of the, uh, the good decisions that I've made as well in my life. But to start off with I wanted to look at the best example that we can look at and that is Jesus. And in case you don't know, Jesus was baptized, so that's always a good thing. If the Son of God was baptized, then that's, that's a good enough reason maybe for us to get baptized. So I've got the, the scripture up here out of Matthew chapter 3. And this morning, I want to look at the actual baptism of Jesus, but I also want to look at what he does as soon as he's baptized and straight after his baptism, because I believe the two go hand in hand. So... Baz has informed me, this is over four slides, so you can help me count through these, because there is a lot, but I want to cover this this morning. But it says this, this is Jesus talking with John the Baptist, he said, but Jesus said, it should be done, talking about baptism, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. One down, three to go. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. Two. And said, if you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said. Four. <laughs> if you will kneel down and worship me, and Jesus replied, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. There was a lot in there and hopefully you were able to follow it, but Jesus goes through the process of being baptized, and we see that when Jesus came up of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And we see there that, that Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that, that there's something amazing going on there. And straight from that, he goes out into the wilderness where it says he's tempted by the devil, tempted by Satan. And I think there's something in this for the people who are getting baptized today as well, for maybe some of us who've been Christians for a while, that we'll know that through life there are many different trials and there will be things that will come in our lives that may tempt us um, away from what we believe to be right and the will of God. 
And I think there's a few lessons here that we can learn from Jesus this morning on how we should live our lives, but ultimately how we can follow God's will for our lives. And when we, we read that, it says that, that Jesus, even though he was tempted, he didn't give in to temptation. Now, it says that he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's a long time to go without food and water. And it says that when Satan comes along to tempt Jesus, that he does something quite amazing, I think, in that he quotes scripture back at the devil and says, actually, this is what the word of God says. And we can really pull something out of that. And this morning, I want to do that. So I've entitled this message this morning, Life Without Limits. And uh, that's a cool graphic. Thank you, Ben, for uh, putting that together for us. But I believe Jesus was a man and an example of somebody who lived a life without limits, that he was not restrained by our human nature, but actually he lived above that, and he lived it for an example for me and you. But when we look at our lives, I'm sure you'll agree with me in that there are many things that limit us, you know, whether it's the fact that there are only seven days in the week. For me, I'm like, God, why didn't you make it with eight? If I just had that one more day, just that extra 24-hour period, I'd be able to get everything done that I need to get done. For some of us, it might be the length of our lives. We don't, unfortunately, get to determine that length. And sometimes that can be a frustration of, well, actually, that's a limit on my life. And actually, you know, I want to live to 100 or 110, but there's a limit on our lives. Another good example is gravity. You know, we don't have control over the limit of gravity on our lives. Maybe that's a good thing, because if it wasn't, we'd have people floating about all over the place. But there are limits on our lives that sometimes we don't have control over. But what I believe about the Jesus and the life of Jesus, that actually he had full control of his life. And fairly recently, I had the opportunity to go to Germany with work. And uh, one of the things that I found out and I actually now really love about Germany is the fact that they've got the Autobahn. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Autobahn, it's very similar to our motorways, apart from the fact there are no speed limits. Praise Jesus. In certain areas, not everywhere, but you can literally get on the Autobahn, put your foot down and not lift it until you get where you need to go. And for me, I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is freedom. It's like, yes, I can get in my car. I can ignore the speedometer. Let's just focus on the rev counter. Let's go to the limit. Autobahn. But when you've had a limit on your life, a.k.a. 70 miles an hour, and then you are given no limits, it's a good feeling. Would you agree? And I'm sure there might be other areas in your life where you've had that feeling where you've had a sense of freedom and a limit lifted off your lives. And part of the journey of becoming a Christian is that when we invite Jesus into our lives and we say, Jesus, I realize I get stuff wrong, forgive me of those things, that we actually become a new creation. And I've got a scripture here out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And one of the amazing and exciting things about asking Jesus into our lives is that it begins to remove certain limitations off our lives that were held us down before. And sometimes we're not even aware of what those limitations are until we have a taste of that freedom. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is so much better. This is... uh, This is the Autobahn. Here we go. So we're forgiven. We become a new creation. And it's all good. It's all great. Thumbs up. But there's another problem. Because even though we've become a new creation, and the Bible tells us that 
through the forgiveness of our sins and through baptism, we are reborn as something new. There's this little part called our brain or our mind. And I don't know about you, if you're maybe like me and that you're a thinker. My wife, Becky, is a big thinker. I'll say something, and about three days later, she'll bring it up and say, Rob, I've had a thought about what you said, and I don't agree with that. <laughs> it's not a criticism. It's an awesome strength because Becky can just chew through stuff and come out with some amazing things. But our mind can sometimes be a limitation. And the Bible tells us that we must go through a process of renewing our minds. So even though we are a new creation, that we've been forgiven, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we must go through a process of transformation. And um, it's funny being in work and, and talking to different people. When you talk about Jesus and you talk about being a Christian, you might get varied responses depending on who you speak to. But I've quite, quite often heard people say, oh, you Christians, you're boring. A lot of you are boring. You never have any fun. Has anyone ever heard that? Anyone ever said that? Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because what is fun? What is it to live a life without limits? You know, you might have seen uh, the minibus that's parked outside. It's a journey with Jesus, live life to the max. And as Christians, that's what we believe, that when we invite Jesus into our lives, that we can live a life without limits and live a life to the max. But then why is it that people may sometimes look at our lives and say, well, actually, that's not how I maybe would want to choose my life. And I love this in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and it sums this up. For it says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Now, the guy who wrote this piece of scripture, a guy called Paul, he was writing it to a set of churches. And these churches <laughs> had got the revelation of who Jesus was. They'd invited Jesus into their lives, and all of a sudden, they had a sense of freedom. They had a sense of the limits are off. And in some contexts, that's a really good thing. But in other contexts, it's not so good because these people are saying, well, if I've been forgiven and Jesus forgives my sins, I can do whatever the heck I like because Jesus is going to forgive me and I can go off and live a life without limits and I can just do whatever I want. Well, this scripture tells us that even though, yes, we have free will and that in our lives, God has given that sense of freedom, there are things in our lives that are good for us and there are things in our lives that are not so good for us. Would you agree? Good. I'm, I'm glad you said yes, because if you didn't, I don't know what I'd do. Okay, another, step, another story about Becky, just because I have got the microphone. Um, I've, it's our wedding anniversary next weekend. We've been married four years. Very exciting. If you've got any ideas of gifts, come see me afterwards. No, I've got it sorted. 3D printer, there you go. <laughs> yes, print me whatever you like. Um, but... As I said, you know, I've learned different lessons throughout my life and in, in the kind of the process of marriage, I've learned one or two things as well. And when we first start for, when we first started dating, would you say I was quite polite? I was quite a nice person, quite civilized. Yeah, when, when we first started dating, I wanted to put my, my best front forward, you know, I was trying to win a heart, trying to win her approval, win her love. And um, I was myself. But I was a very restricted self. I was <laughs> a well-behaved young man, as the, the mother-in-law may say. Um, but yeah, I behaved myself, really. And I, <laughs> as we got married and time went on, I sort of started letting those standards slip a little bit. And uh, if you're like me and you're a man, 
And I believe it's a very manly thing. But you may occasionally pass wind. Only occasionally, but it does happen from time to time. And what I've, well, I say noticed, what's been pointed out to me as time's gone on is that my, um, my lapse in manners has uh, slowly gone downhill. And um, I do break wind more often than not. But <laughs> it's been a process, it's been a journey, it's been a level of correction. But one of the things that I've come to realize is that out of my love for Becky, okay, when I'm around her, I will hold my wind. <laughs> not because I have to, not because I'm ordered to, but out of my love for Becky, and the sake of our marriage, I shall restrain myself <laughs> till the appropriate time. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm glad you're laughing, because I was like, this is going to go one or two ways. We're either going to be very serious, or we're going to have a laugh this morning. I'm glad we've gone down this route. But as I say, it's a lesson that I've learned. And going back to that whole thing of, oh, you know, being a Christian, you know, it can appear that at times you're a bit boring. Here's the answer to that, okay? I really believe that out of my love and the relationship that I have with our Lord Jesus, okay, that I make decisions in my life to limit myself in areas so ultimately I can worship God. So there are things in my life that I'll say no to and say, actually, I'm going to hold that back. I'm going to hold that in, okay? Out of my love and my respect that I have for God. And it's not that I'm boring. It's not that I'm reserved. But it's out of, actually, I see a bigger picture. And we see that when Jesus is getting tempted, that he would have been very hungry. He would have been very thirsty. And it would have been very easy to say, you know what? It's nothing to turn these stones into bread. I'll just, I'll just feed myself. Okay, but what Jesus saw was a bigger picture. He knew was what was at stake. He saw that actually he needed to be there for humanity. And by ultimately gratifying himself, he would have been saying no to a bigger purpose that God had for his life. And I believe it's exactly the same for us, that out of our love and our relationship with God, that we'll read the word of God and we'll read, you can call them morals, you can call them instructions, call whatever you like, but we read this book and we say, actually, I know if I put these principles in my life, it will help me grow and ultimately be a better person because of it. It's not easy. It's really not easy. And you know, we all have to make changes in our life. I've recently gone through a bit of a transition um, of, of change in my life, and that I've suddenly become aware of my intake of what I eat and drink. Maybe it's because I'm approaching 30, I don't know. Um, but I'm suddenly aware, and <laughs> I'm going to tell a story about my mother-in-law now, so if we can stop the recording, we'll carry on. It's a good story. Don't boo me. Okay, so <laughs> I've got a sweet tooth. I'm not ashamed to admit it. You might see me trunk trolling around with a coffee with some syrup in it. I've got a sweet tooth. But one of the things that's been brought to my attention is the levels of, of sugar that we have in our food. And this came about one day we were out uh, with Beck's family and uh, Beck's mother, well, my mother-in-law pointed out, Rob, do you know how much sugar is in a large chocolate McDonald's milkshake? And I'm like, no. And you hear these statistics, don't you? Like in a can of Coke, there's something like six teaspoons of sugar. And you're like, no way can that be true. Surely not. So I'm like, large milkshake, please. And well, it was something that was told to me. It was a good piece of advice and it was a good piece of wisdom. And I kind of, I was like, I'm having my milkshake. I know what I want. 
And <laughs> about 12 months later, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to be becoming more and more like you, re- you turn on the news and it's talking about sugar in food. And we were out for a picnic, and we had one of these little cartons of pure orange juice. And it said on the side, one of your five a day, cha-ching. And you know it's got these daily guidance little tables on them now? And I was reading it, and it was 50% of my daily allowance of sugar in one little carton. I was like, this is insane. If I was to have two of these just to try and get my two of my five a day, I would have had the lot. And... So I've kind of gone through a process now of rather than having Coca-Cola, I'll have Coke Life instead, or I'll have a Diet Coke. It's a small change that I'm making in my life because I realize that actually if I carry on drinking and eating at the same pace that I have been, it's not going to do my body any good. So I've started making small steps and small changes so ultimately I can make myself healthier as a result. And through going through the, through the waters of baptism, we go through a process of change. And I want to lead, read one last scripture this morning. This is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I think this sums up everything of what it means to live a life without limits. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 to 44. This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best. But perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that, we, that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive, forever. The corpse that is planted is no beauty, but when it is raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground the weak, it comes up powerful. The seed sown is natural, but the seed that is grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it goes down in the physical mortality. Go on, someone. Mortality. (laughs) So when it is raised up in spiritual immortality. We have a picture here, ultimately, of what it's going to look like when we are raised to eternity, that our bodies will die and decay, but actually our bodies will be raised into something new, that a seed is planted and something new will grow. But this is also a picture for baptism, because through going through the baptisms of water, we make the decision ultimately to lay down our lives as we know them, that we, we look at ourselves and say, actually, what, what has come so far in my life has not been good. And that actually I know something greater needs to be raised. So the waters of baptism as you're lowered down is a picture of death. It's a picture of laying down your own desires and your own lives to be raised up as a new creation. To be raised as something even greater. And the amazing thing is that through the the waters of baptism, sin and the power of death, as we already looked at this morning, are broken that a process begins of a new body being raised up, an eternal body that is far greater and far unlimited than anything we've seen or tasted so far. And this is the amazing thing of the Gospels and the amazing thing of asking Jesus into our lives. So just as we close this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this and say that it's not too late to get baptized As Paul said earlier, you might have been a Christian a while and maybe thought about it but never made that decision. Today could be that day for you to say, you know what, I want to take the limits off. I want to become a new 
creation. So just to close and to, to summarize this morning, I believe there are three key lessons that we can take from the baptism of Jesus. And the first is this, is that Jesus laid down his own life and his own desires, that he was willing to say no to himself so that he could say yes to God. Second of all, Jesus knew the will of God through his knowledge of the scriptures. Jesus was able to bat back to the devil when he said, throw yourself down from this tower and angels will catch you. Jesus was able to say, well, actually, the scriptures say, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Through his knowledge of the scriptures, Jesus was able to arm himself and fight back. And last of all, is that Jesus said no to Satan's temptations so that he could say yes to God's plan. Jesus had the bigger picture in sight. I believe that God has a plan for every one of our lives. And when we begin to say no to our old lives and start saying yes to what God has for us, something amazing begins to happen. So just to close this morning and as the people get ready for baptizing, I just want to pray just really simply, really quickly. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for every single person here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you died for us on the cross so that we could have a new life in you, that we could be raised into a new creation. And Father, I just want to pray for everyone who's getting baptized this morning, that Holy Spirit, as you enter their lives and you fill them, they just have a new sense of your presence and who you are in their lives. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us. Amen. Amen.